If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey guys, welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. Um, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and I am here with Christine Mizert, who is a teacher in Watertown, New York. Now, she is from Syracuse originally, so if any of there's Syracuse people out there, um, but she currently lives in Watertown, and she teaches primarily earth science, but this year she has also um, incorporated physical science as uh, New York is moving to the NGSS. Now, unfortunately, uh, there was an error in the audio recording, um, aka I didn't press record right away because I thought it was automatically recording, which it usually does, but uh, okay, so I missed her introduction, and that's why I'm introducing her myself, so I'm super sorry about that and that she's not able to, you know, tell you about herself herself. But thankfully, I caught it in time and we got all the really, really good stuff. So we are talking about basically her experience using the NGSS, the um, impact she's seen in her students, but like more importantly, what NGSS lessons look like and um, how she like implements them. So she has such an amazing like grasp of like the intent of the NGSS or the heart of the NGSS. And I am so excited for you to listen to her talk about some examples of lessons that she's done in her earth science classroom and, and, and also how she goes about helping students make meaning from the hands-on learning experiences that they do. And that's really the important part. She's able to really connect those hands-on experiences to the minds-on learning. So anyway, we're going to dive right into this episode. I apologize that I cut off her introduction, um, but I'm super excited. You're going to love listening to all of her ideas. So we're going to get started right away. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and um, enjoy this episode. Okay, so let's just talk about, like, how, um, what's your experience with using the NGSS in your classroom? Or, I will, so, I'm going to say NGSS, but obviously your state standards that mesh with the NGSS. <laughs> okay, so do you want me, my initial piece with where I kind of started with it? And yeah, like, how did you start using it, and, like, what was your experience with it? Maybe what challenges did you, you know, have with it initially, or how has your understanding changed over time? Kind of wherever you want to, like, go with it. Sure. So initially, when I kind of was told, you know, these are our new standards that we're going to be using and implementing, obviously, you know, we kind of dive right in, you know, head first, and we want to kind of get our feet immediately immersed. So I was originally trained 
with Paul Anderson from A Wonder of Science. So I attended one of his workshops. And of course, you leave with just so many more questions about how to do things and how to implement it. Is this the right way? Um, from there, you know, I actually found a lot of huge community with Instagram and I've had a ton of support, great ideas. You and Aaron Sadler being one of them. So thank you. Um, I've also attended the New Visions training, which is out of New York City. So I attended that last month, traveled to Rochester, New York, where there is a transition. They're, they're implementing a transition with our standards, so our core standards to this new um, NGSS kind of phenomena-based learning. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of different questions because there's no right or wrong way I think to approach it and a lot of us like you know this, this is a clear pathway and yeah. you know obviously for this it's, it's, it doesn't all look the same so I will say that that's been a huge challenge in addition to not knowing exactly what the state assessments will look like at this time yes. it's tricky because we're still using core you know assessments as our base um, while we are still trying to implement those new standards where we're using, you know, sometimes a different language and that can be kind right. of confusing to all parties involved. Right. And with your like old assessments, there's, they're very heavily, there's like a lot of content on them. Right. And then with the NGSS, you're maybe pulling a little bit back from the content and focusing more on that skill. So it's, how do you do all of the content and the skill and the discovery and all of that? And honestly, there's probably it's not necessarily, you don't have enough time really to do it's true. the NGSS it's true. style and then still cover all of the same contents. Like, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> it is, it's really rough. And what I will say is basically kind of the biggest takeaways that I've been getting from every person that I've encountered, which is just focus on the teaching shift. So make it more inquiry-based learning, um, put some more of that curiosity piece on there, which kind of brought me to what does that even look like? And and, you know, a lot of it is, okay, we have to actually go back in time to when we were kids and think of why does this work like this? Why is yes. it doing this? Why is this so large and this is small? Um, and it, it's been hard. It's been hard to get back in that mindset. But now that I'm getting there, it's a lot easier to transfer that over to the kids and just see that curiosity mm -hmm. unfold within them. That's awesome. I love that you are saying like the really the instructional shift is like the most important part and it is it's not I mean the obviously the content does matter but you can adjust content things later but getting that shift so that the students are exploring and discovering and curious and engaged that's definitely like the heart of the NGSS so I love that you um have heard that and are doing that and I think that's basically where everybody should kind of start instead of getting bogged down in all the nitty-gritty details of right. all the changes in content and language and all that stuff. So that's awesome. Um, so now you, I asked you to be on this podcast because of like your kind of expertise. I see it as in like the hands-on learning. You do so many different, like really engaging labs and hands-on activities with your students um, that I've seen like on the Instagram page. So First of all, it's like, why do you think hands-on learning is important? And like, what does hand, what do you think, what is your view of hands-on learning, I guess? Because like, yeah, let's just go with like, let's talk about what is hands-on learning and then why do you think that's important? 
So initially, I think that a lot of us as teachers and or as learners, we want to teach others the way that we have been treated, right? So I mean, um, you're going to learn, if you are somebody who learns best linguistically, you're going to, you know, pursue that skill out onto others. Um, as we start to do a little bit more research with multiple intelligences, we have to realize that not every kid is the same shape. So that means that everybody's going to learn very, very differently. So when we take into account the piece for hands-on learning, hands-on learning really allows for us to hit a multiple diverse levels of multiple intelligence. Um, the number one and hardest being kinesthetic, so uh, learning through movement, which is why I think phys ed teachers have such high success with athletes, right? They're, they're constantly repeating this motion. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think that it kind of starts with that piece. And when we can add in that kinesthetic piece, and then delve in with some of the questioning that really activates some of our brain activities. So when we can turn on the brain, um, we start to get all these different receptors in these areas that become ignited and lit up. Uh, that means that that information that we're learning, we can transfer it to a, a multitude, a multitude of topics rather, um, so that we can really understand, you know, what this area is about and make those connections more readily. Awesome. Okay, so I love like what you said here. So it's not just about the hands-on, the doing part. It's because the hands-on doing part literally activates the minds-on part. So it's that connection between you're doing something with the ultimate goal of like getting your brain working, not just doing it for the sake of it's fun to do it or, um, or it's engaging to do it. You know, kids enjoy it, but it's, it has like a real intellectual purpose as well too. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of our goals as teachers is, you know, when we have a lesson, we want to see how many minutes are the kids actively learning, right? And then if we can uh, expand that number of minutes that a kid's learning, that means, okay, we're, we're, we're getting closer to achieving a goal here. Yeah, that's, I, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so hands-on activities, sometimes you can do, an, you can plan an awesome hands-on activity, and the students aren't always making that transfer to like the minds on like portion. So how do you make sure that your students are um, like really intellectually engaged in their activities and that they're like making meaning from it? And if you have it, you can give us like a specific example if you want, if you, if you have, if that would help or just generally. So I think initially, um, one of the things to do is if you just kind of give them some equipment and you kind of just have them play around with it. Am I telling you to give them a Bunsen burner and play with the flame? No, that's that's not what I mean by that. But um, there are some things that you can kind of set out that are a little bit more simpler. So for example, we were kind of um, trying to examine the phenomena of the sun's path and, you know, do we have seasons? Why do we have them? Are they repetitive? Can, are they cyclic? Are they happening in a pattern? Um, so we kind of just did an activity where we just took a flashlight and a wooden block. We just kind of started off and I said, okay, I just want you to kind of tell me what happens as you're moving the flashlight around. Um, you know, just kind of tell me about that. So they're kind of messing around with it. And I said, okay, so what do you think the flashlight would represent in nature? I think it would be the sun. I'm like, okay, you know, that, that's really great. Um, so the sun, you're showing that it's moving throughout the day. Yes, it moves. Okay. All right. So as it's moving then, or it's appearing to move, what's going on with the path? Well, it's changing. Okay. So how do you know that? Well, the shadow from the block is changing. Okay. When do you have the longest shadow? 
Um, that's hard for me to explain. I need to redo it. Okay, can you turn on the flashlight again? Can you, you know, kind of play around with it and tell me what happens? Well, when I put the flashlight at the base of the block, uh, there's a really long shadow. But when I put it above the block, it's a really small shadow. Oh, does that ever happen during the day for us? Or, you know, when do we see that in nature? So I think initially when we kind of set out those parameters and we start to kind of ask them just general questions about these, you know, different materials that are out in front of them. And then we start to slowly transition their thinking over as to how this is occurring in their life or in the real world. It makes it a lot easier for them to kind of identify, oh, so now if I put in the time of day, if the flashlight's at the base of the block, what time of day do you think that would be? I think that would be at sunrise. Could it be another time? Yeah, it could be at sunset. Okay, good. Now, when do you think that we would have the shortest shadow? You recorded that. Well, when the sun's at its highest point. Okay, so what time of day do you think that would be? Um, I don't know, maybe in the middle of the day. Okay, what time do you think that is? That's maybe around noon. Okay, that sounds good to me. I like that. Um, so just kind of expanding a little bit on their thoughts. You know, it is, it's, it's baby steps with, it's kind yes. of like baking a cake and we're adding a layer on, we're adding the frosting, we're going to then add the details. Um, so it's just one little step at a time and walking their thinking through that because they can get to it. We just, we've got to be patient with them. Yes, I love, I absolutely love that. And that's what I also try to do. It's like questioning to just guide their thinking. Like, what do they need to notice first? And then how can they connect that to the next thing? And then how can they connect that to their experience during the day in their own shadows? I, yes, that's awesome. Okay, so logistically, that activity, how, like, what instructions would you give your students and how would you carry out that questioning with them? Are you, are they working like in small groups and you're moving between the groups asking those questions or um, is it like a written form or like how do you typically carry out that kind of, of task in your classroom or is it like everybody's doing it and you're like asking everybody the same questions at the same time? Sure. So, you know, I think that it's really going to vary based off of the type of scenario that you're introducing the kids to as well as how much equipment do you have to move around the room? You know, so in some cases, it might be easier to have them work in a pair and other times it might be easier to have them working in groups of four. Um, obviously, I think we want to start out with just some general questions. You know, what are some just general observations that you're kind of noticing? And then we want to kind of build on what they already know. So kind of taking out some of that information and um, having them kind of apply it to a real world scenario, because that is what we found with the NGSS is it, it has to relate to the to the world and in, in our curriculum. Um, so then from there, I think once they've done something like that, it's a lot easier for them to kind of plan out an investigation um, when they know just a little bit about it. Um, okay, how would we measure this? What are some things? Oh, well, if I get a ruler, I can measure how long that is. Okay, great. Well, why don't you go get a ruler and then kind of tell me what's happening as you're changing that flashlight angle up and down. Um, okay, now tell me about the time of day. And then once we got that down with just the wooden block, we did something a little bit more fun where we put a Lego figure in there. So we replaced that. And so that they could kind of pretend they were that Lego figure. And we had them just kind of trace using an Expo marker on this clear dome that was going to, you know, kind of pretend it was earth or, you know, yeah. the sky for us. And we would just trace the pathway. 
and we would say, okay, now what happens to the angle or what happens to the length of the shadow as you're moving that flashlight around at the same pathway that the sun would appear to move? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. So everybody in their groups are kind of, you're walking them through that kind of together and then you're saying, okay, now we're going to trace the pathway and they're all doing that within their groups. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting is um, it kind of brings up so many more questions with them. They come up with some of the best questions that we hadn't even thought of or things that we hadn't even experienced. And, you know, I think that one of the things that people think is we should know everything, right? I mean, we're we're the be all end all. And I'm like, you know what, why don't you write that down and go do a little bit more research and you're going to report back to me. What, tell me what you find out about that. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I, yeah, I love that. It really helps them come back to that science and engineering practice of asking questions. Like there, it's not just something that happens at the beginning of the unit. It's happening throughout every activity. Do you, um, beyond having like the students go research like that question, do you have anywhere, um, like I've heard some teachers use these driving question boards and things where you're like logging all of these questions, even if you don't answer them all or if students just kind of answer them independently, do you have anywhere in your classroom or in notebooks or anything that you're kind of keeping track of them? Yeah, so we've actually started to implement the chart paper and you know, typically what we might do is we might start out with like a short video clip and they might write down a couple questions that they have regarding the video clip. And at some point in time during this unit topic, that's our goal. We want to try to address as many of those questions as we can. A lot of times the questions do repeat themselves. So that's kind of nice to know that a kid you know, is sitting on one side of the room and kid on another side, they're thinking the exact same thing at that moment. And they've recorded it down. Only I have it be kind of anonymous so that nobody kind of has to feel, you know, embarrassed about their question. Like maybe it's not good enough, even though it is, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Um, so yes, we keep those up. And then what happens is we kind of revisit them as we're going along. We kind of make a little check mark next to them, mm-hmm. or we bring that up as like a quick exit ticket. Okay, how would we address this question? Um, wh- how can we revisit this? What more do we know about this information that we can expand on this? Do we have new questions based off of the question? Yeah, your class sounds amazing. And I wish I had a, I wish I was in a science class like that when I was in middle school or high school or any, any part of my K through 12 education. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So you seem like you are absolutely embracing like the, the spirit of the NGSS, the heart of it or whatever with the, with the discovery and the student questions and the phenomena and the real world connections and all of that. I, I like love that. Um, what do you think have been like some challenges though? Like beyond maybe understanding what to do, like what have just been some challenges that you faced with actually carrying out, you know, this type of instruction? I think that you just said it perfectly. It's that initial part part of getting started. And I am an earth science teacher by trade. And this year, you know, I had to pick up teaching physics and stuff that I haven't looked at in a while. So here I am trying to come up with, okay, what are some really great introductory pieces that um, we can, you know, kind of start that exploratory piece. So it has been that whole part of just actually getting the momentum or getting that ball rolling has been really tricky. Um, as well as our own teacher shift for a mind shift as well. That's, that's incredibly difficult. Um, so that's why I would say it's probably the people that have, have provided resources to me where I've kind of looked at them or I've kind of sought people out, hey, how would you approach this? Yeah. Um, I think our community is really what's kind of helping me so much to help to implement that to help my students. That's awesome. How have your students taken the, the shift? 
Yeah, I would say that probably that that's tricky. Um, one being engagement is much higher. Okay, um, I would say that probably mastery of standards is in addition higher. What I think is the hardest part is shifting their thinking to what a classroom looks like nowadays, as well as some of the parent feedback. Well, you know, I think that when I went to school, this is how we did, you know, the teacher gave us all the information. So yes. I think it is, it's a full, it's a full shift, not only for us, for the students and for the parents as to what a classroom looks like in this day and age. It is very different than when you and I went to school. Right. That's true. Getting. So I love, yeah, I feel like that embodies my experience as well and embodies the experience of of a lot of people like the initial shift getting students kind of the buy-in or the understanding that it looks different like once you can get past that then you do see like the engagement and the mastery and all of that it's it is hard getting getting past that though <laughs> students are like why can't you just lecture why can't you just give me the notes where's the right answer <laughs> Or, or can't you just tell me the answer? Like, could, but that wouldn't be any fun. Like, we right. we, we want to come up with this on our own here. Right. Because if I tell you, you're not going to remember it. But if you come up with it, you're going to remember it and then some. Yes, exactly. Awesome. So would you, like, categorize those kinds of, like, as your big wins with the NGSS? Or do you have anything else that you would say, like, this is, I'm winning here? <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say that that's probably the big win, as well as one of my favorite parts of, you know, a really successful lesson is kids are leaving annoyed and frustrated that the bell rang and they have to go to somebody else's classroom and not stay in your own because they have so many more questions that they want to go through and they want to try to figure out the answer to or, you know, derive some evidence for that. Um, and so, you know, it kind of keeps that door open and that conversation going where we have something to go revisit and bring back to the next day. Um, so that's, that's pretty much my big win right there. Is yeah, that's, that's keeping so my, cool. Yeah, keeping it's that. Like what every teacher wants to hear, like, I don't want to leave your classroom. Can I stay? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, well, um, and I wouldn't say that that's every day. I think sometimes yeah. they've probably had enough yeah. at times. Yeah, they do come back. But yeah, no, that's cool. That's, that's really neat. Um, okay, so you, you did walk us through one of your lessons. Um, can you just maybe tell us a little bit more about how you approach like the science and engineering practices and like merge them with your like hands-on activities? Like how do you start if you're like, okay, I have this hands-on activity, but I also want to make sure I'm addressing those like science and engineering practices. How do you kind of tie it all together? I think with some of our former core standards where they were required to write or they were required to, you know, provide an explanation, I think that keeping with that piece, we're doing that. We naturally, I feel like we had already started to have that in place. Um, we want to make sure that they are not only just exposing their information via writing, we want to make sure that they can verbally explain that. Can they give a rebuttal? Can they provide more evidence? Or can they tailor somebody else's information or, you know, kind of address that? Um, as well as, can they graphically do that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the biggest things for me being you know, the shift of what a model is. Yeah. Um, and so initially, you know, we kind of said it was a picture with words and now we've kind of added to that. Okay. We need to explain that uh, based off of our new information that we've, you know, arisen from. Can we go back and can we modify that model that we originally made? Can we change? And, you know, kind of always going back to, this is really what happened in history. 
You know, we started off with scientists that had this one idea, this one piece. And then as they got more information, they would kind of go back and they would, you know, retailer this portion in your textbook or, you know, our general ideas and history as a whole, as a scientific community, not even just, you know, in high school. But, you know, it's happened, I would say, globally. So that's kind of being that first piece is kind of addressing, you know, the graphical model. Mm -hmm. Um, Models come in many different ways and forms. The giving responses with a rebuttal. Yeah. Providing more evidence or, you know, maybe that's not our strongest evidence. Maybe to some, you know, can we, can we go to another scientist, AKA a peer in the classroom and can we see what they might add to it or change around? Yeah. Um, And, you know, learning to communicate respectfully uh, while yes. still having differences with somebody yeah. is tricky. I have a five-year-old. He's going through that right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and then I would say that, you know, from there, some of those initial pieces as to developing their own scientifically sound um, experimental setup, because that can be really, really difficult. They might want to change more than one item. And, and so then we go with, well, is this a valid setup? You know, can we really test for this? Do we, do we know what we're measuring? Um, so I think that that's really great as well as we're seeing that there's a lot of different connections with different materials. It's not just one input and a single output. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what NGSS is trying to teach us is that there's a whole lot of things going on here. Yes. We want to link them all together as best as we can so that we have a full picture. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're, and you're really even just tying all of those different skills into the same kind, like, so, you know, developing the model with the the flashlight and all of that, but then you're adding in the constructing explanations portion via like writing and verbally, and then the engaging in argument when you can discuss others' ideas and explanations and all that. So you really are tying all those science engineering practices into the content in different ways. Maybe not like every single one, but multiple throughout your learning sequence. Right. And I would say even after that, you know, we may not hit every um, science engineering practice and investigation. But I think what would happen is later on, we might be able to add on like on our cake, right? We're now going to add on another detail. Okay. Do we notice, are there any patterns here? Um, what, What information would lead us to believe that? So I think kind of always going back and reinvestigating it. And that's, you know, that's the whole thing is we want to show that everything is sequential and that they're building upon each other, not that there are these standalone topic areas. Yes, absolutely. And stand even standalone practices and it's that that three-dimensional instruction where it's really integrated in all aspects, the content and the skills are integrated and the crossing concepts and all of that. They like support each other and that's awesome. Okay, thank you so much for, yes, spending this time with us and sharing your ideas. Do you have anything else that you wanted to, like, touch on or add? Um, anything that you really want to say that you have to No, ask? I just, I wanted to say thank you so much because you've been such an amazing resource for me. So thank oh, you so thank much you. <laughs> for being a resource and helping me get the ball going um, for just a small town girl like me in Watertown, New York. Oh my gosh. Well, you are doing an awesome job. So if I had like a small part in that, I'm thrilled. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And, um, thank you listeners. Uh, if you are enjoying the podcast, drop us a review. You can uh, check out Christine on Instagram. Um, Christine, what's your Instagram handle? And I'll also link it in the show notes, but 
It's Mrs. Miss underscore science whiz. Okay. Yeah. So you can check her out there, but again, I will put in the show notes so you can find her. And uh, if you have any questions about anything she said, you can uh, check us out on our podcast Instagram account and you can post questions there and I can always send them over to Christina as well. Um, But yeah, thanks so much for hanging out with us guys and have a good one. Thank you. (laughs) Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.